First John chapter two, verses three through six. The title of the message is we know that we know that's pretty much the gist of where we're going tonight. But first, as you may have grown accustomed, we're going to review real quick what the four topics, uh, the four subjects that um, the Apostle John seems to want to cover when he writes this book. You guys ready? First John chapter one, verse four, we see his first purpose. He says, we're writing you that your joy might be what? Filled, right? Uh, that we'd be filled with joy. And as you guys have grown accustomed, say if you want to be filled with joy, then read this book. Um, we've discovered as we've gone through that look back at chapter three or chapter one, verses three and four. There's a tie in being filled with joy, which is independent from happiness, right? Different thing than happiness. There's a tie between having fellowship with God and having joy. Um, so I, I put it this way. Chapter one, uh, we saw that you can be filled with joy via or via fellowship with God because the, the word says in his presence is what? Fullness of joy. Okay. That's the first purpose. Uh, chapter two, verse one, we see the second purpose. It says, I'm writing this that you uh, might not sin, my little children. He's writing this that we might be free from sin, not completely but um, that we can sin less, not sin, sinless, but that we can sin less. Um, we've discovered as we've gone through that part of that is the result of walking in the light. You see that in uh, chapter one, verses five and following. Right. God is is light and in him is no darkness at all. And the way that we can walk in the light and continue to be free from sin. One one of the ways, uh, one of the important things to know is the importance of confession. Right. You see that at the end of chapter one, verses eight, nine and ten, uh, verse nine being the key verse that if you don't have memorized, you want to. Right. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. OK. And that also transfers into chapter two, verse one. Um, now, next chapter two, verse twenty six. But John writes this that also that we might be able to fend off deception. If you were here, uh, the second the second uh, sermon, I believe it was, we learned about the Gnostics. These are guys who basically taught that Jesus is God, but that he came in spirit. He like they actually had a legend that he had no footprints. If you were to walk alongside him uh, and you'd look back behind you on the sand, you wouldn't see any footprints. John comes right out of the gate. Chapter one, verse one, and says, look. This this one who was from uh, beyond history has come and we have touched him. We've handled him. We've heard him with our own ears. We've seen him with our own eyes. Um, it's an amazing fact, really, when you combine this again with like Philippians chapter two, where Jesus is God, but he became a man. And where you combine this with John chapter one, the gospel of John, that God emptied himself. Kenosis is that that verse in, uh, in Philippians two and that he made himself humble, that we've touched him, we've handled him, we've saw him, uh, we have heard him. And John's whole point at the beginning of this is, look, you can have a relationship with this God, with this same man that we've touched. And the result, of course, is fullness of joy. Now we're starting to cycle back. The last purpose that he has uh, stated explicitly, that is, First uh, John chapter 5, look there, verse 13. And this is where we're going tonight. 
He writes that we might have a firm assurance of our salvation. Chapter 5, verse 13 says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. He doesn't, he's not expecting us to uh, go to the end of our life and, and hope and wonder, well, I hope I have eternal life, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So tonight, and as we go through this book, we're going to see a few more, but tonight we come to the first of the litmus tests, if you will. He says, John does, that it's possible to know that you know that you have eternal life. How, how can you know that you know that you have eternal life? Well, it's actually very simple. I'm going to show you a few verses that just remind you, I'm sure. The way that you can know that you know that you have eternal life is to know that you know Jesus, right? John 17, verse 3, Jesus speaking to the Father says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Romans 6, 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 John 5, 11, the same book. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. John, the gospel, that is, Chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said to uh, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. The Bible is very clear. You guys know this already. The way to know that you know that you have eternal life is to know that you know Jesus. That's a matter of fact, exactly what it says. Look at verse 3 now. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. Now by this we know that we know him. So how do we know that we know him? If we, here's a litmus test, keep his commandments. Now if you've been with us in the uh, first four messages, I think, so far, one thing should be pretty clear to you already. That is, none of us walks in perfect obedience, right? If you need to be reminded, look back at first, uh, the first chapter, verse 8. You see it? And chapter, chapter 1, verse 10. You see it? And chapter 2, verse 1. None of us walks in perfect obedience. Maybe you heard the story of, a, I believe it was Spurgeon, that a, a man told him, I've been walking... Uh, in sinless perfection now for years. And Spurgeon was like, well, that's interesting. And he uh, takes a pitcher of water and dumps it on his head. And the guy curses him out. And he's like, okay, I thought so. <laughs> None of us walks in perfect obedience. We are all in need, sinners in need of a Savior. We are all constantly, according to this last chapter, needing to be cleansed, right? We need to be cleansed via confession. But... I hope we, we notice, and we're going to see tonight, these verses also say something else very clearly, and that is this. Believer, I hope I'm speaking to everybody when I say believer, your life now, compared to your life without Jesus, should be radically different. It should be changed. Your life now should be marked in general, again, not perfectly, but in general should be marked by obedience. Jesus 
says, and we're going to see that, but John says right here that the proof is in the pudding. Right? And what he says here in chapter 2, verse 3, now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. John is saying this, the proof is in the pudding. Assurance comes with obedience. If you want assurance, blessed assurance we sang tonight, of your relationship with him, look at your obedience. Look at your track record when it comes to obeying him. John 14, verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, my my version, uh, the New King James says, keep my commandments. But it's interesting because the earliest manuscripts say, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And there's a vast difference in the way you interpret that. We're going to look at this in just a little bit. Let's read it again. Chapter three or chapter two, verse three. Now, by this, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And John goes even further in verse four. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Well, John, tell us how you really feel. It says, verse four, he who says, you guys notice that we've seen this this before. We we talked about it in the first message. And as we go through, we're going to see this over and over again. John has this habit of saying, he who says, and then he'll say, but this is what they do. Well, that doesn't line up. He who says, John says basically several times in this epistle, look, you can say what you want, but unless this other thing is true, then you're kidding yourself. I found this online. I guess this uh, this came through this last week. A Florida rapper is sentenced to two years in prison for a song called Kill Me a Cop that he produced as a teenager. Authorities say 20-year-old Antavio Johnson raps about killing two Lakeland, Florida police officers in the t- officers in the tune, which cops found on MySpace while surfing for gang-related activity. Johnson pleaded no contest to two counts of corruption by threat of a public servant and was sentenced to two years in prison last month. He was already in jail on a cocaine charge at the time. Singing about killing a cop, it kind of goes into editorial here, was not Johnson's first mistake. Pleading guilty and not hiring a lawyer were. Just ask Ice Cube and NWA who sang uh, an unprintable word, the police, as a form of police protest more than 20 year, years ago. They got off because they had a good defense attorney. That's interesting. I was noticing this ties in from last Sunday's message too, right? Uh, having a good defense attorney makes quite a bit of difference. But listen to this. According to the Daily Beast, I guess it's a paper or blog or something, Johnson was trying to make a similar lyrical protest when he wrote Kill Me a Cop about two police officers who harassed him. The song announced... I'm a kill me a cop one day. It called out two specific officers by name, both of whom would be shot with a Glock in the dome if they ever got my timing wrong. Sorry, this, I'm probably not really doing it justice. <laughs> Listen to this, though. The, the commentator says, the best part is not the snappy lyrics. If you Google this kid's name, you'll see that he's a self-proclaimed Christian rapper. So let me read to you first John chapter two, verse four. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. See, you can say what you want. But how does your life match up? Uh, Look at back. Let's go back now to uh, verse three. 
This is important to know, I think. Um, you see where it says, by this we know that we know him. Two different tenses of the verb. Um, by this we know that first one is present active. That means by this we can know right now in the present, right? But then it says that we know him. That's the perfect active tense. That means timeless once and for all. So what he's saying is by this we can know right now that we know him once and for all. Maybe one way to put it is the first know here is informational. And the second is relational. By this we can know in our head right now that we know him, that we have a relationship with him. John is saying that this is how we know that we are assured in the present, blessed assurance, that we've entered into a once and for all relationship with him. Verse three. Now, by this, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. So. What that saying is assurance, you guys, comes through obedience. The proof is in the pudding, but I want you to see this. It's really important Notice this does not say, by this we know him, if we keep his commandments. This is not saying salvation comes through obedience. No, this is saying assurance comes through obedience. Let me put it this way. Um, This does not say, by this we know him, if we keep his commandments. It says, by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. Have I lost you yet? There's a lot of no's in here. Let me put it this way. Try again. Obedience is the fruit of salvation. It's not the root of salvation. Obedience is the evidence, not the entrance of salvation. You following? Obedience is the result, not the requirement of salvation. Obedience is the proof of salvation, not the plan. Of salvation. Does that make sense? It's a huge thing when you think of it, because if you go into this thinking obedience is the plan of salvation, well, then you're into works. But if you realize that this is still really serious, but what this is saying is obedience is the proof of your salvation, but not the plan, then your application becomes something completely different. Look at verse three. Now, by this, we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. Um, You guys want to participate? Okay. You guys get to say the word keep. Ready? Beginning of verse three. Now, by this, we know that we know him. We have proof if we his commandments. He who says I know him and does not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever his word truly the love of God is perfected in him. The word keeps there is tereo. It means to observe, to guard, to attend carefully. So, again, at least for me, when I first look at these verses, it, it looks like obedience is the way to apply this message. Well, obedience, we, we must obey, but it's not the way to apply. There must be a different way to go about it. Let me put it this way. When it says to reo, to observe, to guard, to attend carefully, this is the way I'm, I'm hearing this. This is not just a strict holding fast to the rules. This is a better way to put it. 
a holding fast to the ruler through his words. Not the strict holding fast to the rules, but a holding fast to the ruler. And therefore, because you love him, you want to do the things that he commands. Verse five. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. The word perfected. That again, also you look at that like, oh boy, perfected. Okay, so I got to be perfect. Well, it means completed. It means complete, lacking nothing. A great uh, side verse to put here, I think, would be James 2.22, because that starts to make sense, at least for me. He says, do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works, faith was made perfect. That means complete. See, when you just say, I know him, but you don't obey him. You are showing that you lack the biggest part of your relationship with him. Does that make sense? Uh, Give you an example. Your kids say. Let's say your kids say what a great relationship they have with you, but they never do one single thing that you tell them to do that you ask them to. What's lacking? Love, respect, intimacy. Like all the really important stuff is lacking when they don't do what you tell them to. But when they do what you say, they show their love for you and the intimacy is manifested. And suddenly then you get it. There's assurance. Um, What follows is assurance. Blessed assurance. Look at verse four again. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected. That is complete in him by this. Here it is again. We know that we are in him. It doesn't say by this we become in him by this. We know we have assurance that we are in him. And again, that that no is the present active. That means by this we can know right now we can have full assurance when we obey as we obey by this. We know presently that what was done once for all when we gave our heart to him is real. When we obey, um, turn to John chapter 14 and you'll see that the Apostle John is not just making this up. <laughs> he pretty much <laughs> forgive my, my uh, phraseology, but he pretty much stole this from Jesus. <laughs> he didn't really steal it. He's passing it on. OK, John 14. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Most of you were with us in this gospel. And remember how he's speaking of how it's going to be after the resurrection. Look at John 14, verse 19. Jesus says to the uh, 12 and well, the 11, actually, because Judas has departed. And John, our writer, is in in the uh, the audience. Verse 19, a little while longer, Jesus says, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. In other words, he's saying, look, I'm going to be dead to the world. But I'm going to be alive to you. He says, because I live, you will live also at that day. You will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. Important concept. Again, we saw that over and over again, especially toward the end of this gospel. He says, look, I'm going to be dwelling inside of you and vice versa. I'll be in you. You'll be in me. Now watch verse 21. Here it is. He who has my commandments and keeps them. It is he who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. In case I haven't lost you yet, or let me 
put it this way. Hopefully I haven't lost you, but here we go again. Do you see that the order, and you have to read it carefully, but the order is the same as in our text, which is first comes a loving relationship. And from that comes obedience. It shows our loving relationship with him shows itself in obedience, which brings more love from him, the father, the son. And the end result is it says Jesus manifests himself. You guys know what's coming. Those of you know me, the word manifest, right? The world's easiest illustration. Manifest means to make known, be present or to, to show, make visible, I should say. That which is already present, right? Right now, my Bible is manifest. Now it's not. It's still here. It's still present. But we don't see it, right? Manifest? Not manifest. So Jesus says, look, when you obey me, as you obey me, then he says, uh, verse 21, he has my commandments and keeps them. It is he who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Do you guys see that all of this, rather than it being uh, a scary portion of, of scripture, this is supposed to be encouraging. This is how you can know you can have blessed assurance. He will manifest himself as we obey him. Look at verse 22 of this same chapter, John 14, 22. Judas, not Iscariot, <laughs> said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone, what's the first thing, loves me, then he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Interesting. Now go back to our, our text, First John chapter 2. These seem to be very parallel to me. First John chapter two. Now look at verse six, because he says we will make our home with him. Look at verse six. He who says he abides in him. And we're going to talk about that. Ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Abide. What's that mean to make yourself at home? Again, I don't know if this is making sense, uh, but at first reading, you can look at these verses and it looks like you have to obey to be saved as the it looks as though obedience is the route to salvation. Obedience is the entrance to salvation. Obedience is the requirement to salvation and obedience is the plan of salvation. But over and over again, there's different words that give us the clue that no, what it says is is backwards, meaning if you are saved, obedience will be the proof. Not the root of salvation, but the fruit of salvation. Obedience is the evidence of salvation, not the entrance of salvation. Obedience is the result, not the requirement. Obedience is the proof of salvation, not the plan of salvation. Matter of fact, you can find another few words in verse six that to me point out this very thing. It says he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. The word ought is ophelio. And it means to owe, to be in debt. Now, for us to be in debt means that the Savior has already saved us, right? It's not how we earn our salvation. It's how we pay him back. Um, he who says he abides in him also ought to walk just as he walked. Now, that word abides. How many of you were with us when we, were, when we went through John chapter 15? Cool, only a few. So this will be new to some of you. Um, 
the word abide. <clears throat> I stole this fair and square from uh, Damien Kyle, pastor out in uh, Modesto, California. It's the best illustration I can, I've ever heard about the word abide. <clears throat> Actually, turn to John 15. And as you're turning there, I'll explain that or, or uh, remind some of you that is. He says, look, when you want the, to understand the word abide, picture the biggest, plushest, most comfortable, easy chair. Lazy boy. Okay, some of you got it already. Some of you have it at your house maybe. He says, to abide means to settle down, to sink into, to be at home. Okay, now read John 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And Jesus goes on to say, as we're going to see, that as the branch never bears fruit by hard work, you never see a branch going, oh, I'm going to work hard to produce this fruit. What does the branch do? Just abides, draws near, draws life from the vine. Just simply abiding, simply staying attached, and the fruit just naturally happens. We did this before, and I'm going to give you guys another chance to stay awake here. This time I'm going to let you say the word abide. Check out how many times this word is in this text. John 15, beginning in verse 4. You guys get to start. Ready? Abide, abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abide. in the vine, neither can you unless you abide. in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me you can do nothing if anyone does not abide in me he is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned if you in me and my words abide in you you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit he wants you to bear much fruit he says, so you will be my disciples. You guys see, the fruit is the proof. It's not the root. The root is being attached to the vine, right? You don't work hard, really hard to get the fruit. You just stay attached to the vine. Now look at verse 9 of that same chapter. As the Father, see how closely these are tied in, these two concepts, First John chapter 2 and John 14 and 15. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and in his love. That's a whole bunch of abiding, guys. Not a whole lot of working, but a whole bunch of abiding that leads to the fruit of the Spirit. Obedience It's the proof of the pudding. It reminds me, too, as we went through these, we talked about just abiding in him. And we talked a little bit about the concept of the sweet spot. You guys know in sports, if you uh, if you hit the ball at a, with a certain certain spot on the bat or those kind of things, right? Being in the sweet spot, being fruitful has to do with just abiding, sinking down, being right there in the sweet spot. He distributes the sweetness through your life. But we talked about the quickest way to eject yourself out of the sweet spot of assurance is disobedience. 
Now, notice I didn't say the quickest way to eject yourself out of salvation is disobedience. The quickest way to eject yourself out of that sweet spot where you're being used, you have that deep knowledge that you and he are together, is disobedience. But on the other hand, verse 10, John 15, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And look at this. Interesting. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Now we're back full circle. The first part of first John chapter one. Right. We've seen that before. Our joy is filled to the brim when we are in his presence. How do we know his presence by being in fellowship with him? How do we do that? Obeying him. Right. Does that make sense that this assurance we get is as we continue to obey him, he manifests himself. He makes himself real as we are obedient. Let's just look at uh, let's just read now verses three through six in in, uh, without breaking. Now, by this, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments has a continual, uh, constant uh, lack of keeping his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected, that is complete in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him also ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So. The last little phrase there on himself also to walk just as he walked. Maybe you're thinking, well, how am I supposed to walk? I mean, he kind of walked on water. Is it like that? I mean, is that what he expects? Well, again, we've already seen perfection. Even even John says, look, he includes himself. He says we when if someone sins, he says we have an advocate with the father. Chapter two, verse one. So he's not expecting perfection. But he think about this. He makes the same call to you and to me that he has with every single disciple that he calls, which is this. Follow me. It's the same call that Peter got, that John got. All of them heard those words from him. You follow me. You guys remember that? The first time they ever used the word Christian was in the church of Antioch. And it was intended to be at that time a derogatory term. Christian means little Christ. They would look at these guys and go, oh, there's a bunch of little Christs going around thinking that they were being derogatory. But somewhere along the line, somebody, I guess, in Antioch went, you think so? That's awesome. Really? I mean, you think that, I mean, by looking at me. You think I remind you my my choices, my behavior? You think they resemble his? That's what he's asking for when he says he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk as he walked. He's not expecting you to walk on water. But do you resemble him more and more? Are you walking the way as he walked? Um, Joe Foch, I'm stealing another one. Joe Foch has a great way of illustrating this this verse. 
He says, he himself, uh, he, he abides in him, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. He says, look, if we're abiding in him, if we are sunk down, if we're settled down inside his will, that is, if we're seeing through his eyes, if we're hearing through his ears, if we've surrendered our feet to him, if our hands are his to use, then wherever he walks, we will walk. And he uses this example. He's like, if you're abiding in him and he walks right, you're not going to go left to the liquor store. If you're abiding in him and he walks right, turns right, you're not going to turn left to into some movie where he's not going to be. If you're abiding in him, here's the positive. Those are the negative ways of looking at it. If you're abiding in him and he has a divine appointment, you're going to be there with him. Right. If you're not abiding in him, you could miss that divine appointment. He won't, but you might. So let's just read verses three through six as we close here tonight. Now, by this, we know that we know him. Do you want to know him? Know that you know him. By this, we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly, the love of God is completed in him, complete in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself, in response to the love you've received, to walk just as he walked. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we love you. We thank you for your mercy and your goodness. Lord, uh, we thank you that you are the teacher, Lord, that, that we so need. Lord, you know every heart here, you know uh, every situation, Lord, that's represented here. You know the things that we have that we've been through this week, Lord, you know, the things that we've either done that we shouldn't have done Lord, or failed to do that we should have done. Thank you, Lord, that we find mercy in your presence and hope. And I ask, Lord, that you'd help us tonight. That you would help us in our application. I know you desire that everyone in this room, myself included, Lord, that we would have <clears throat> that blessed assurance that there wouldn't ever be any question as to our relationship with you. I thank you, Lord, that um, you, you make it possible that we can know that we know you and ask that you'd help us along those lines tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.